I'm Anna Matronic, and here is the tea. A person living with HIV who is on effective treatment cannot pass it on. The slogan U equals U stands for undetectable equals untransmittable. So you can without fear. Hello, everyone, and welcome back, back, back to another episode of the Pause Vibe podcast. My name is Robbie Lawler. And my name is Veda, the most beautiful woman in the world in my price range. <laughs> it's true. It's true. As we all know, this season's team is all about pause power. And I think we are in very good company today, Veda. What do you think? Well, I'm certainly super excited to have this guy with us today because um, we just bumped into each other in New York and his story blew my mind. And I'm happy to have him here share it with you all. Yeah, so today we're going to introduce Mr. Timmy Spence, who's currently in Florida, looks very sunny where you're at. And Timmy, if I'm not wrong, you were one of the first people ever to be diagnosed with AIDS in the early 80s, am I right? I, you know, I'll tell you, I did some research at Yale a couple of years ago when I was up there for a fellowship. And during the time I got AIDS, it's mm. about 98% of people passed away. So it's it was pretty... It was very serious. The test was actually 85. It was in August mm -hmm. of 85. They didn't have the test mm -hmm. until I think December of 84. And the way I was diagnosed was, I, I didn't even know I was given an AIDS test. A doctor who was treating me gave uh, the AIDS test to me without telling me. It was on a Friday. It was in August of uh, 85. And then he called me up on Tuesday and told me he couldn't see me anymore because I had HIV. And I said, well, I've never had a test for HIV. He said, well, you had one on Friday. We discussed it. I said, we certainly did not. But that's how I found out I had it. Um, the actually tracing back, you know, I wasn't really a person that, you know, just had sex all the time. So I did trace it back to 1982. Mm -hmm to that's when how are you I feeling at the time happened. did you but feel the okay? test was 85 so the thing is when i found out it wasn't because i went in because i was sick or anything was happening mm -hmm. to me it was mm -hmm. completely you know random as i told you so i was fine and i never noticed anything until about right. 1991 listen, I, i'm quite interested in hearing that you got an AIDS diagnosis in 1985 because even then there was still very little known about it you know the virus was found in 1983 the test only came out like how much information did you have was it San Francisco you lived at the time it was and in San Francisco at that time they were suggesting suggesting that people do not take the test so I'm not sure if a lot of people know that they weren't around then but the that was the general um policy of the medical folks at that time is don't take the test. We don't really have anything to help and it's not going to help you. Uh, AZT was the first drug that really was approved. And that was 87 because that's the year I started taking it. So in 1985, with nothing to treat someone and, you know, of course, with stress contributes to disease, they recommended that people didn't get the test because it would just upset them, stress them out. Maybe, you know, their health would would uh, decline because of that. So they just recommended that people not take it. It wasn't until like late 86, 87 that it's like, OK, everybody get tested. And did they just recommend abstinence? Was that the idea? You know, there, there was a, a bathhouse down the street from me. Uh, God, that place has been everything. But at one point it was a bathhouse. And I remember they there was like a, you know, a push to close the bathhouses and um they try to stay open as long as possible. 
So there was definitely a certain amount of denial about it, but I think people were scared and they just didn't know what to do. So it was like, it's not going to help you to know at this point. So they recommended, many of them, many of the medical people recommended, you just don't get the test at this time. So that was more like 87 when everybody started getting tested. That's the first time I've ever heard from a medical perspective that ignorance is bliss, <laughs> which is quite strange. Um, kind of bringing us back around to that time then. So you started medication. Um, we all, we've all heard of the terrible effects of AZT. What was it like taking it at the time? Taking AZT in the beginning, the first time I got a T-cell test, it, they were already low. My first T-cell count was 370, and that was back in early 87. Mm -hmm. So already, you know, it was definitely taking a hit. So I started taking AZT and, um, you know, people were funny, like, you know, I have to take it at four o'clock. If I miss it by a minute, you know, it might uh, affect me. I was never like that. I'm just not that kind of person. So I would forget to take it occasionally, but I took it regularly. You know, I still take medicines regularly, but I've never been, you know, real OCD about it. It's like, you know, you just get it in there. And uh, the medicine, obviously, I've really stuck with it. And regardless of politics or what people say about AIDS and the medical profession, it's worked for me. Uh, and I, you know, stuck with it. I believed in it, you know, and I'm still here today. So uh, I'm glad there was ACT. It probably helped me. And Timmy, you're acting, you're performing, you're doing drag. I just got cast as an 80 year old, which means I'm going to try to get a facelift <laughs> by that time so that I can look pretty good. But, um, I just got cast as Norman Thayer Jr., the lead role on Golden Pond here. And I'm very excited about that. So we just started rehearsals. Is that week. like the Golden Girls? <laughs> um, it is not. No, it's not like the Golden Girls. But uh, yeah, maybe it is. You know, I'll go with that. Yeah, it's just like How, the we'll Golden We'll go with Girls. the Golden Shower Girls. Golden How about <laughs> that? <laughs> it's funny. I moved to Florida because of this house. Um I don't know if you can see how pretty the house is. I've seen it on Instagram. Uh, Timmy, you were saying that you have some fun stories about the support groups. What was support groups like back in the 80s? Well, this support group, that I, the, main, the big support group I was in was for people with Kaposi mm -hmm. sarcoma. Mm -hmm. And I got Kaposi sarcoma in, like I said, the first inkling, the first problems that started happening were, um, they were... Uh, I remember uh, thrush. I, I, the first time I saw thrush on my tongue, it's you probably know what that mm -hmm. is, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like this white stuff. It's an indication of a uh, problem with the immune system. And I actually remember the first day I saw that because Doris had died, Doris Fish. And it was the um, 1991 Gay Pride Day. And Tippy was still with us. It was a super hot day. And we got in my convertible. Um, it was a 64 Oldsmobile. We put a big um, painting of Doris in the back. And the uh, parade folks let us uh, have a float in the parade. And it was way hot. We all came back to my apartment. And I remember I looked in the mirror when I was just coming in to get iced tea or something. And I saw that stuff in my tongue. I was like, oh, no. KS started in 94, and that's when, uh, you know, the summer there, that's when things uh, started to get real serious for me. So I joined the support group. And just to make a long story short, I really loved 
uh, group therapy. It, it, it was just so fun because I think the reason is because, you know, I could sort of see other people like, oh, my God, I'm glad I don't have that problem. And <laughs> it's the same reason I like group sex. <laughs> <laughs> But the thing about that is that uh, at one point, the um, group facilitator said, you know, Tim, I think maybe you better find another support group. And, and I'm like, why? I really like this group. He said, well, you just seem insensitive. To <laughs> God, you know you're bad when you're kicked out of therapy. <laughs> oh, my God. I can relate to that so hard. <laughs> But I guess it was true because sometimes I would laugh out loud when someone said something. And then later someone would say, you know, Timmy, they... They were being serious. I'm like, this is a, this is a can. Like they'd always talk about other stuff. Like you know, they have a cat now and they're scratching the furniture. And it's like that doesn't have anything to do with cat disease sarcoma. So I would laugh anyway. I got kicked out. <laughs> so I remember Timmy from the '90s in San Francisco, but Timmy doesn't really remember me so well. But I'm going to jump in and tell you, Timmy, that at uh, one day you picked up myself and Impala in your open top convertible car, and we went to either a hospital or a pharmacy. And you parked outside, you went inside, you left us outside for a while. And I remember thinking, it's kind of odd to pick someone up when they're on their holidays and take them to a hospital car park or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But we sat there for a while. And then when you came back out, um, Impala told you that I hadn't seen the Golden Gate Bridge yet. So you drove us across the bridge and back again just so wow. that I could see it. And I never forgot you. I never forgot that moment. Well, I thought this was going to have a bad ending, this story. I thought it'd be like leaving <laughs> a baby. <laughs> no, like leaving a no. baby in a Beta hot car. Beta left for anal warts. <laughs> Still have them to this day. That's an incredible story. You never told me that. And they're really good for friction. It's like the opposite of a ribbed condom. Yeah. Really. <laughs> <laughs> the inverse. And by the way, anal warts, very easy to get rid of. And if you have um, uh, herpes, you can just use uh, Valtrex or something to get rid of them. Many people live with HIV, just many people around the world have uh, genital herpes. Some people, they get more flare-ups than others. And those who do have many um, flare-ups can just go on suppression therapy. So it's nothing to worry about at all. We wrote a song, The Blow Drives. We had a song in the 80s and it was called i want to take these herpes and give them give them give them back to you <laughs> and that was in the 80s so that was like that was early on in the herpes epidemic which you know got kind of squashed by the aids epidemic people talked about herpes for two years and then when aids came out everybody stopped talking about yeah. herpes herpes is just more an aesthetic thing than anything isn't it really can i ask you timmy were you out about your status right from the start you know i was and It's funny because uh, Dennis, he, he was my, well, he was kind of like my ex-boyfriend at the time, but he, he was, Dennis was great. He was a, a muni driver. He was a big black guy. He looked like Richard Roundtree, like those, <laughs> that, that 70s. He was a super cool guy, but he's the first person I told. And, you know, he was just, because I didn't know what people were going to think. So I said, well, I'll, I'll try it on him first. You know, he was just fine with it. He was, uh, I told a few other people. And um, and then I I just I don't know I just felt I never had this idea that AIDS was this horrible thing. It was like at some point I realized okay, this is something that I'm going to be living with, and I'm not going to sit around being angry about who gave it to me or what it is. You know, it's a virus like anything else. You know, it's just like you and me. We just want to get by in the world, right? So I never felt angry about that kind of stuff but uh, people were pretty 
you know, receptive. And what's ironic is that many of the people that I told who were shocked by it, of course, are no longer with us because it may have been a good thing that I knew when I knew, even if I didn't ask to know, but it may have been a good thing because there's a lot of things, the way that people's brains work, I don't know, your brain can prepare your body for things sometimes. And who knows, it may have been a good thing for that to have happened. So people were, I think, receptive. I never felt any kind of fear. That just intrigues me so much, Timmy. The fearlessness around, you know, having HIV in the 80s and 90s. As someone who was diagnosed with HIV in 2012, uh, who had readily access to free and great medication that we do have now, um, I couldn't imagine getting HIV diagnosis back then, where it was, unfortunately, a death sentence for many people. And, like, feeling powerful because there's power in one telling people during a time of high stigma which you did but also power in saying that i'm not letting this virus control me or to control my life like where did you find that power you know i mean now that i'm older i think that i'm a person that you know i operate in the external world and not so much you know i think i did a lot of that when i was a teenager all that soul searching so i do think it's i think mental health is easier to achieve if your concentration is external and also if you are involved in a lot of things out there instead of a lot of things you know in here. So mm-hmm. that seems like after living all this time, that seems like what I have discovered. That's great life advice. I would think I want a bit of Timmy uh, positivity in my veins, to be honest with you. Yeah, That's the Timmy. I want. And Timmy, do you know what? We're, go- we're going to keep you there because um, we want to introduce our next guest. And I know you two are both friends, so I'm sure we're going to have a great kiki. And uh, Veda, do you want to introduce our next amazing, incredible guest? Sure. Next up, folks. We have an icon, an actress, a singer, a model, a muse, a writer, and a very dear friend of mine. The amazing Vivian Bond is in the house. Hi. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us, babe. It's great to see you. And straight off the bat, I've got to mention for anybody listening at home that you have an album out at the moment, Only an Octave Apart, with the amazing Anthony Roth Costanzo. Costanzo? Oh, yes. Amazing. And it's a beautiful, beautiful record. And I've been listening to it lots. So I want everybody at home to know about it. Get it on your Spotify. It's really messed up my Spotify algorithm. Oh, good. I'm listening. Yeah. (laughs) Weird opera songs coming up. (laughs) I really do feel like I'm developing a taste for opera and all kinds of amazing queer art. But I'm loving it anyway. And congratulations. Thank you. My pleasure. Um. Viv, your motto in life and one of the things that I love and admire and would like to live up to is glamour is resistance. Yes. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> and that's so inspiring. Like I can relate to wow. that so much. In fact, also I think... um, similar to Timmy's, um, keep it pretty, keep it shallow, keep it moving. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And that's why I'm the fastest lover. <laughs> Where did you come up with that? That's such a great motto. Which one? Glamour has resistance. Well, which one? Yeah. Actually, that was a line from a poem that Kenny Melman wrote in the uh, early when when we were when we first became friends. He he was Herb of Kiki and Herb, is Herb of Kiki and Herb, and uh, he was a poetry major at San Francisco State, and he wrote this great poem. Uh, and it ended with the line, glamorous resistance. And he was like, you can have that line, it's yours. 
And mm-hmm. so I've uh, been grateful to him for that ever since. I've, that's been my motto, you know, my way of living. And also, you know, it gives you an excuse to indulge in things that... <laughs> <laughs> we agree. Myself and Veda call ourselves Poswaps. Just by being beautiful and sexy that we're bringing the sexy back to HIV. It's just powerful in itself. Yeah, exactly. I'm actually all about the glamour sledgehammer because, (laughs) you know, we we call ourselves sledgehammers to stigma. And then when I was thinking about meeting with you today, I realized that a glamour sledgehammer is exactly what I am. Like Robbie is like the hammer of truth because he actually bothers to learn about HIV (laughs) and facts to do with it. Whereas what I've been doing is you know is using my um my drag connections to bring extremely glamorous and fabulous people on board to talk to us whether they're living with hiv or or are a negative nelly like you babe (laughs) just being here and being part of this really changes things for us and i think that's something that Learn that I learned from glamour is resistance, you know. I love that. And I hey, listen, I actually want to know a little bit more about your relationship with Ada Viv because uh, I always knew and I always adored you. So my mind was literally blown when Veda told me that minutes after they dropped their song, I came out one night, they got a taxi straight away, went to the airport, went to Vienna, <laughs> and spent a holiday with you. I was genuinely blown. I was like, you know, like Vivian Bond, how is that possible? Could you tell me a little bit more about that uh, holiday or HIVNA? <laughs> like, HIVNA, girl. <laughs> well, I was uh, there doing an opera uh, of Orlando that was a, uh, I'd been there for several weeks, and I don't really love being on the road or being away from home. And so it was a beautiful gift that um, Veda and my friend Paul, also known as Christine, the two of them came to um, Vienna and really cheered me up and kept me going and kept my spirits up. So it was really fun. And we, you know, ran around and had blue vine and went to bars and went to had a lot a lot of pastries because the pastries there are amazing we really did christine and veda were like we're going to mcdonald's we're going to McDonald's. <laughs> and i had a cheeseburger and i'd sit down at the table and then the two of them would come and they'd have like a literally an entire tray full of cheeseburgers it was really <laughs> shocking how did you feel that time uh, during the holiday just after your song release veda? well for me whenever i go to visit viv or go travel Traveling with Viv anywhere, I feel like Viv is like home to me. So it felt like a very safe place for me to go when I just exposed myself. I found it very hard to come out about my status, but once I decided to do it, I wanted to do it in a big, public, glamorous, queer way. And I knew Viv would understand that and not question it and support it and the fact that christine our friend was going to be there too it was just really the perfect place it was Mm -hmm. the perfect place for me to be and the perfect people to be with because viv you had your opera horlando going on (laughs) and christine's never off grinder so you had your own stuff happening which was you know a great distraction for me and when i spent too much time on the phone obsessing over who was tweeting or not tweeting about me you would just tell me to put the fucking phone away (laughs) and that was really helpful too yeah it was really fun and it was kind of great because you know you were nervous but as you while you were there you were also getting so much wonderful positive feedback that and and that can be just as stressful so Mm -hmm. you know it was like 
we were there to distract each other from all the stress in our lives at that point. And, uh, and it was great because it was, it was, uh, it was a wonderful thing as it turned out and being in the opera was a wonderful thing too, but you know, it's those moments where you're just like, is this going to be good? Is, are people going to freak out? And to have a support network with you is, mm-hmm. that's important. And we were there for each other at an important moment. Yeah, putting out art is such a vulnerable thing, let alone art and also coming out about your HIV status. I can imagine the, the double, triple, quadruple whammy that comes with that. But um, Vivian, you were once described by Out Magazine as a tornado of art and activism. And I know some of that activism um, and in your performance, you have kind of highlighted issues around stigma around HIV and the likes. Like, how was that for you as a, an ally to the community? Like, what, um, one propelled you to do it, and secondly, how did you feel doing it? Well, um, it wasn't something I really thought about. It was just something I did because my best friends had HIV. My people I loved most and you know, lost were people that had HIV, people that were living with HIV were the most important people to me. And so, you know, it wasn't like uh, I ever had any sort of conflict about, well, should I talk about this? There was no way I wasn't going to talk about it. And that's why, that's how I justify being an artist, to be honest, because anybody can like ask people to give them attention or jump around and be splashy and flashy and get people to look at them but once they're looking at you if you don't have something to say then you know what's the what's the point and uh i always felt like if i was going to ask for people's attention i should at least have a reason a justification for that that's why i do it for the attention (laughs) (laughs) and the money (laughs) and the free clothes don't forget the free clothes yeah i got lots of nice clothes Shoes, you know, shoes, <laughs> shoes, purses, hats, gloves. You have the most glamorous activism of any activist yeah. I know because, you know, well, back in the day in the 90s, I remember seeing you as the face of LA Eyewear. Mm-hmm. I think there might have been a Mac campaign going on no, at some point. or that. So, oh, maybe not Mac. And then, and then like now you are a muse for Loewe and a model for Jonathan Anderson and you're in W Magazine, pages and pages, so much real estate in in W Magazine. And that is like, that is as glamorous as activism can get, I think. You're such- That's not because I'm an activist, that's because I'm so fucking beautiful. (laughs) Oh shit, well I didn't, obviously I didn't get that from the images. (laughs) (laughs) It's a 90 year old hag. (laughs) But I do do think Veda has a really good point though because you, you use your voice, you use just being your 100% authentic self as a form of extreme and fabulous activism. And I know there's so many people who struggle in Ireland and around the world, especially living with HIV, who want to use their voice in some way. It may not be HIV activism, but like, like do you have any, even for myself, do you have any advice on how to use your voice? Because it is a skill to use it and to be heard and to be listened and to be comfortable in your own voice. That's an interesting question. I mean, I create I've created characters, obviously. I mean, when I was young, I created the character of Kiki because she was older and I made her an alcoholic. 
Uh, <laughs> I you made her a debater. I wanted to be able to say all these things that I felt needed to be said, but would be to um, seem too earnest coming from a young person. So I, I created this character that could get away with saying all these things that I wanted to say and then making her drunk added an extra layer to like remove her from uh, that kind of criticism so that mm. she, this drunken old woman could say all this stuff in a way that was like easier for people to take in. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what I did. And then, you know, I got rid of that character when I got older and I started speaking from my own genuine personal experience. And so, you know, if you're, talking about yourself and your own truth as much as people might want to criticize it they they can't accuse you of being anything other than um you know honest and they don't like your truth but they can't yeah. say like you're a fake or anything like that and then now that i'm older i can kind of do all the stuff that i did as kiki because i actually am an old alcoholic <laughs> yeah totally and it's great how you've like weaved drinking through the whole process yeah, right we have to figure out a way to <laughs> treat ourselves or to yeah. compensate or what's the word you know just figure whatever gets you through the night as they say uh-huh yeah, being drunk helps you with your voice. Just you know, drinking espresso martinis. Booze <laughs> and shoes are what that motivates me. Oh, I love it. I love it. Timmy, I'm going to ask that same question to you. Like, um, you've been very vocal since the early days of uh, your HIV diagnosis. Do you know, uh, how do you gain your voice or like reclaim that power? I don't think I've ever been an activist and I don't know what that says about me. And I guess I just stopped thinking about what it says about me. But, you know, I had a lot to deal with with the whole AIDS thing. It, I went through, you know, it was definitely a horror show at some points. Um, but I just think I was uh, I was dealing more with with myself rather than the politics of AIDS. For me, it was the, you know, the real horror of AIDS that I had to deal with. I think one of the most interesting things about you um, is that you are one of the most engaged people within your own life uh, that I've ever met because you become fascinated and interested in things and you really pursue them and you you're not afraid to make changes in your life. If something interests you, you go and do it like you've had more careers I mean, you've had more careers than you've had cancers. And how many cancers? <laughs> Let's talk about cancer. How many cancers, Timmy? It's it's uh, it's uh, very coincidental that she brought that up because I am waiting for a phone to, to determine if something new I have is cancer or not. They I thought I would hear last week, and I haven't heard yet, and I'm really afraid that. Uh, you know, I mean, hospitals are hospitals and it's a good cancer center, but, you know, I'm kind of afraid that I'm going to call down there in two weeks and I'm, I'll, I'll say, you know, the biopsy results haven't come in yet. And then someone's there's going to be the sound of shuffling paper and someone's going to say, oh, yeah, you've got cancer. We just forgot to tell you. Sorry about that. I I'm really serious that that probably could happen. But I'm hoping that because I haven't heard back, it's negative. But. Fingers crossed Fingers on that. Crossed, I wish you all are. the best to me. But how many cancers oh. do you remember? Do you, have you kept count of how many times you've had cancer? I have uh, so far eight. Wow. And not not all of them are. My first cancer was back when I was thirty two, 
Because it was interesting. You know how I told you about that doctor giving me that HIV test? Mm -hmm. He, I had a basal cell car carcinoma on my forehead at that point. I was 32. And that's when he gave me the test because he gave me the test. He lied and told me he was doing some test for the cancer. So it hasn't been they've all come at once. It's been over a long period. And, you know, of course, I had KS. I had thyroid cancer. I had melanoma in my retina. I had um, yeah, lymph. I had Hodgkin's twice and uh, various different skin cancers. So I've had on the tongue, and then this one is, you know, hopefully it won't be. So mm -hmm. I, um, I don't know. I have a little bit of a talent for forgetting about stuff. I think so, you have a talent of overcoming cancer, Timmy. That's a pretty good talent. I do not consider myself a cancer survivor or that sort of stuff. I know that that's sort of the trend is I survive this, I survive that. But I've seen some people, we had a friend, Steve Lady, and Steve Lady died of cancer. She was only 37. And, you know, she was very vain. I had no idea how she would deal with it, but she dealt with it so much so much more than I ever thought she could. And I'm like, you know, I guess every, if you're going to call it, talk about heroes or whatever, I guess anyone can be a hero. But I do think that people have a great capacity, many people for, you know, being presented by a problem and somehow managing to get through it. And, you know, I, I don't think you're a hero. I just think that you have it's a talent and, and and a lot of people don't know they have it until they need to use well it. that's a brilliant segue timmy thank you so much for setting us up because we do want to talk about hiv heroes this season we're going to talk to everybody about it because we're interested in empowering people and how people empower themselves so do you have a hiv hero anyone that stands out for you well, I guess that after all that baloney I just told you, <laughs> I think that I would have to say that I am my HIV hero <laughs> because, you know, in some ways, it's, life is not a race, but in some ways, you know, it's been a very long time since HIV, you know, since we've been dealing with it and since all that's come out. And the fact that I'm still, you know, running down the road. I, I And, you know, I know a lot of people have fallen by the wayside, but I guess I would have to say just because of that and the longevity of, or, or, or the amount of time that's gone through, I have to say that I'm probably my HIV hero. Um, I'm not traumatized by it. I just, you know, it was part of my life and it still is. It's been more than half my life I've had HIV and I have no problem with it being in my body. It's there. And, uh, you know, I just go on. And uh, so, yes, Yay! it's me. I That's love brilliant. that. That is such a great answer. You are my HIV yeah. hero, too. And I'm not just oh, saying that. that. Like, Honestly. I think you're the supreme yeah. of all HIV <laughs> witches. You are the supreme. And when you go, I want to see who's going to try and fill those shoes. Um, Viv, what about you? Do you have a HIV hero? Uh, well, I guess I would say that I don't have one. I mean, otherwise, how would I choose right now? With the <laughs> be like Sophie's choice. Um, <laughs> I'm not ain't making that choice. I don't care. Take both of them. Um, <laughs> but I do really think that it takes a lot for people who are very vocal about their HIV and also longtime survivors with HIV. It's uh, I know that there's so much of a struggle for people who 
who, I mean, don't have as good of an ad. There is a struggle for, obviously, for Timmy, who's like such a great role model. But uh, there are a lot of people who have been struggling with HIV and with the effects of it for so long. And those people that remain vocal and claim their space and are upfront about the difficulties so that people are aware of the challenges um, mm -hmm. that especially older people with HIV deal with, those are my heroes. Maybe Justin Vivian when I get older or when I get old, uh -huh. maybe I'll feel that way too. <laughs> yeah, you're not old yet. I have a long way to go before I get old. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Well, well, you know, I, I know what you mean, though. It's true. I'm not a, I guess, sometimes I think that a, a challenge to me is something I guess I welcome. And so I, I'm not a good spokesperson in terms of, even though I've been through kind of some hell times with this thing, I, I don't, it's hard for me to come across as I think some other people can really uh, let people know just how, you know, how much of a struggle it is. I'm probably not the ideal person, you know, to, to talk well, for about me, that. Timmy, you're Do you, that. This is the point I was trying to make earlier when I say you've had more careers than you've had cancers, because you actually are, that's not your, that's not your thing. You, I mean, it seems to me like you have done so many things like been a teacher, been a musician, been an actor, and, and you go full force with whatever into whatever you're doing. And so, I mean, that's a whole other like way of being a Roma and living. And I think that mm -hmm. that those things, what you're doing in your life is always more important. It seems to me than those things are more important. You're more focused on them than your HIV. I still say that one of these days, I'm gonna die from old age. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Timmy, you're my hero. There, there is something special in knowing that people who've gone through multiple traumas like long-term survivors, do you know, they, they compare with some Sometimes, uh, sometimes having complex PTSD because they do. It's not just one trauma. It can be repetitive traumas depending on when they got an diagnosis. But seeing you, you're such delight at the end of the tunnel. Do you know what I mean? And as Viv just said, although trauma don't go into happen, the light, Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away but, from but the I light. As tough as life can get with your a cancer diagnosis, for example, you know, you're still smiling, you're still smiling in the convenience store and you're still just living your truth and doing everything where everything behind you, like your whole life behind you to uh, and give it all, all you got. And I just for me, that's just so inspiring. So I just want to thank you. And you're my new HIV hero as well as Viv. Viv, you just blow my mind every time I hear or see you and I'm friends with you now. So. I'm delighted. She'll blow your mind. She'll blow your mates. <laughs> she, she, she'll do whatever she needs to do. Thank you so much, folks. Thank it's been you. amazing chatting with you both. I love you both so much. Before before I get off, I have to say it was so wonderful uh, in December, uh, have, especially our lunch, that long lunch we had together. And of course, um, Justin Vivian, your show was just terrific. And that made my whole December Aww. 
like oh, just that shine. made my hole as well <laughs> <laughs> i loved it too though seriously the show was incredible viv and the lunch was almost as fun <laughs> it went on forever i know thank you all right everyone thank you thank you to our guest thank you to my lovely co-host veda and i hope you all enjoyed this episode as much as we have so everyone remember to stay positive and stay powerful and we'll all see you in our next episode Ciao. Bye. If you enjoyed this week's episode, help us spread the word by leaving five stars and a positive review wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow Pause Vibe Podcast on Instagram and Twitter too. Until next week, stay positive and stay powerful. Pause power. Stop the stigma. Zig-a-zig. Ah. Pause Vibe.